Hi, everyone. Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network. A very blustery, windy, and rainy day here in the land, Tuesday, December 21st, 2021, 17th day of Tevet, 5782. I was actually supposed to be not in my house today, but a couple of hills over in Bethlehem. There was a, uh, a group of a gr- group of tour guides who were going to go in there with another guide who was going to explain to us what we were seeing. I haven't been to Bethlehem in, wow, at least 25, 26 years, ever since um, Arafat asked that in the cause of peace and coexistence, he not see Jews in Bethlehem anymore. And so we used to drive through there all the time, and then uh, weren't allowed to anymore. The uh, areas that were given over to the Palestinian Authority, of course, um, cleansed from their Jews, but also, when in the case of Bethlehem, pretty much cleansed from its Christians as well, as happens all over the Middle East and Africa, outside of Israel. Um, when there's a Muslim majority or rulers, the uh, the Christians uh, just have an absolute terrible time. And, um, you know, we've talked about that before, and that really wasn't the, the point that I was bringing up, just that I was disappointed to not be able to go into Bethlehem. It's um, this time of year where everything is uh, decorated and people should be coming in, although, of course, um, with the tourism lockdown, that's not happening. Um, but I really wanted to see it. Bethlehem and Jericho are two of the Palestinian Authority cities that Israeli tour guides are allowed to go into, mainly because uh, Christian tourists want to see them. Jericho, I have gone into a few times, but Bethlehem, as I said, not for many, many years. Um, but we weren't allowed to go in, not because of the weather, but because there has been fighting among the different Muslim factions in the city, between the PA mainly and the Hamas. A lot of that going on that is not being reported because the headlines are taken up by other things. Um, anyhow, and so the uh, the army, which we, of course, had to get permission from in order to go in for the second week in a row now, didn't give us permission. And hopefully it'll just be postponed and not canceled um, because I hate the fact that violence and terrorism keeps good people who mean no harm, just want to see things um, from doing things. And yes, I know that this could sound like a very naive thing. For example, I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, so there were certain parts of South Central Los Angeles. And unfortunately today, I think it's certain parts of Beverly Hills and Bel Air that you can't go into or shouldn't go into because... They're violent. So you could say, like, what's the difference in the violence? If somebody wants to kill me because I'm a Jew or I'm an Israeli, or somebody wants to kill me because they want to take my purse, or somebody wants to kill me because I'm white, or, like, does it matter? In the end, does it matter? Because most of us really do curtail where we go for one reason or another, Right. There's different places. Like for sure, I as a woman, I you know I was talking about been talking to you guys about my com- upcoming trip to Egypt. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's canceled as well. Um, I would never go into Egypt without a group. I mean, you, t- you know, you hear some of the reports about women alone in Egypt and forget it. And that's not necessarily, again, because of the religion or the nationality. It's just because for many women, going anywhere by themselves, sometimes not even at night, is a danger just inherent in our sex and in the perceived weakness of our sex. So, so I'm not naive enough to say that, um, you know, it's resent- I'm resentful that I can't go into Bethlehem because I'm an Israeli or a Jew because, yeah, I mean, there are other reasons why in most parts of the world I would have to be careful. But there is something, you know, like 
last week, right? Yehuda Diamond, who was killed coming out of Chomish. And the only reason he was killed is because he was a Jew living in the land of Israel. And that's totally and completely wrong. Um, and it, what it comes down to, and I guess this is really, if I'm going to focus on today's podcast, um, it's going to be that that kind of that lack of clarity when it comes to messaging, or maybe maybe even more, is there a difference between nuance and lack of clarity? Because I'm having a lot of time to think these days because my tourists have all canceled on me. And even though I'm like almost at the end of writing my last uh, research paper for my master's degree, there's still you know plenty of time that I know how to waste or like when I'm swimming and I can think about all these things. So it seems that we have completely lost or many people have lost nuance. Everything is like totally black and white, right? If there is, uh, if you're like for the vaccines, you are completely for the vaccines. You can't understand why anybody wouldn't get vaccinated. Thank God we have science and, th- and, and the numbers have come down and the hospitals aren't so overwhelmed anymore because we have the vaccines, all of which is true. If you're an anti-vaxxer, then you can't understand why anybody would put something into their body that they don't know what it is. We're being lied to. It's all big farm. And and there's a middle ground here, okay? Like I personally did the vaccines, including the booster, but I can't say that I ran to do them. I can't say that I know what's going on in my body. Yes, for my demographic, it was, I thought for me, it was the right thing to do. But I also understand the people who are concerned about that. And like when it comes to my grandchildren, some of my kids are vaccinating their children and some of them aren't. And I see both sides. I really do. Um, One of the problems I think that we have in the world in general is that we doubt authority. When somebody says something, we're not sure if they have an agenda, be it a politician, be it a doctor, be it a pharmaceutical company. Maybe that's also having to do with um, some of the beating that Hashem is getting, right? Some of the the um, doubts that people are have, at least when it comes to organized religion. And I know that for myself, I've had to wade my way through that to, even though I have disappointment in some of my religious leaders and religious leaders from other uh, religions as well, the people who I might not have followed their religion, but I certainly, you know, wanted to have respect for someone who considered themselves a person of God or an ethical person. And a lot of that has tanked over the last few years. But I've had to wade through that and find my relationship with Hashem, my total and utter awe as to the world that he created. And um, even with my disappointment over some of the actions of people who ostensibly represent religion. So I have been able to do that. And I'm sure many of you listening have also been able to do that, uh, just from some of the feedback that I get to like, look for our truth, even if it's outside of, you know, what has been mainstream for a long time in our relationships and hang on to that and understand that there's a bigger picture here, how we fit into it, um, struggles, you know, with our desires and, and our behaviors on a, on a personal level. Um, not necessarily because if we don't do X or we do Y, you know, we're going to hell, but because if we want the world to be a certain way, then we need to be good people and make sure it's a certain way and do kindnesses and give charity and help the old little old lady across the street because all of those little actions together make the world 
a better place. And all of the nasty things that we do um, can make the world a worse place, even from losing our temper or, you know, not being nice to somebody or not helping someone when they need it. So, you know, there's little things and there's big things. And I think, you know, so we're all trying to do that on a personal level. When it comes to a bigger picture, though, like what we're dealing with now it gets a little more complicated. And a lot of, there, there are people in authority who um, have control of our lives and have control of what we do. For example, you know, traveling now, which to Israel, you know, has been cut off and, and the United States and Canada and other countries are now red countries. So even Israelis can't go there, or it's very, very difficult to go there, and people can't be reunited, and of course, tourists can't come to Israel. And and that is because people in high positions are making those decisions. Um, and I can doubt if those decisions are reasonable, like when it comes to this last variant. So I'm seeing the strictness in which Israel's treating it. And on the one hand, as an Israeli, I appreciate the fact, I do, that my government is trying to keep me safe. Okay. And because all the variants and all the diseases basically come through the airport, that's our main portal to the world. Um, And by shutting down the airport to a great degree, it's keeping Israelis safe with our schools open, with people going to business. I mean, here in Israel itself, yeah, people are wearing masks when they go into malls or they should be or into public places. But in general, it's not like it was a couple of years ago where going out to the garbage was like a big deal because otherwise we were stuck in our houses. So on that level, I appreciate the government. On another level, I'm looking at the data and I'm understanding that I probably don't have all the information. Uh, I'm sure that I don't have all the information and it just doesn't seem that it's so dangerous. I mean, maybe this is actually what we've all been waiting for, a mild variant that we get sick. And if you got vaccinated, you won't get that sick. And that that's what it seems to be, that the people who are getting very, very sick are the ones who weren't vaccinated. So there is still an advantage to having used modern medicine. Um, but the most people who are vaccinated are getting mildly ill. And then I presumably getting antibodies. So maybe this is actually the answer that we've been waiting for is a mild version of this. We have antibodies. We can open up the world because what we've been told all along is that we don't want the medical system to be overwhelmed. So what I would really appreciate, and I was just having a conversation with a good friend and like one of the most intelligent and awesome people that I know, journalist Carolyn Glick, who I'm sure many of you read. Um, I have tremendous respect for her. I don't agree with her on everything. Um, I'm also not intimidated, so I can talk to her about that. Um, some of the things I think that she does are, are great and others, um, I'm, you know, I disagree with. I mean, I've come to different conclusions. But in any event, um, you know, we were just talking about that, that it would be nice if we could have some kind of like something to look forward to. For example, the government shut down and then added more countries. But if they would say, listen, we're going to review the data. And in two weeks, if it looks like the the um, the emergency rooms and the hospitals and the ICUs are not being overwhelmed, we'll open it up again because it'll show that this is not as dangerous as we thought it was. That's what I would like to hear so that at least we feel like there's somebody, it's not just willy nilly and there is somebody um, actually like thinking about this for the long term. Maybe they'll announce that in an hour. It's quite possible. In the meantime, statements like that Lieberman made last week about how, you know, tour guides should just go and retrain don't help when it comes to um, also creating an atmosphere where at least you feel that there's a situation that's not in everybody's control, but the people who are making the decisions about it are at least understand the different sides of it and aren't callous and don't see 
um, and don't see the pain that other people are in. There is no downside to having empathy. At least that's what I found in my life. Okay. And, and some of it happens to come from, let's say some of the debates that I've done all the, all over the years when it comes to Israel versus the Arab world and the Palestinians. Okay. I can see that there's pain on the other side. I can, uh, I don't think that they deserve a country because of it. I think a lot of it is self-inflicted by their own behaviors, by their own ideology, by their own jihadist mentality. But that doesn't, it doesn't mean that I can't understand that if somebody is, you know, if, uh, if an Arab mother loses her child, that she's not upset about it. I mean, as a mother, I understand that. I'm actually get more upset when I see statements from them that they're not upset, that they're happy that their child blew themselves up for Allah. That upsets me more. But having empathy for other people it does not mean that you're agreeing with them. It means that as a human being, you're connecting with them and with their pain, even if you don't agree with wherever they're living, whatever they're doing, or whatever their ideology is. And that, I find that that kind of nuance is missing in a lot of the world today. That kind of saying, um, it's okay to be it's okay to be a human being. You don't have to be black and white. You don't have to be totally pro or totally against. So for example, when it comes to today's politics here in Israel, I voted for the current prime minister. I'm not happy with a lot of the things that are going on to say the least. I'm disappointed. But I also understand that in his position there's a lot of things going on and a lot of pressures that he has that I don't know. And what so what strikes me as so odd is a lot of people are very upset with what came out last week and the very um, nasty terminology that uh, Donald Trump used um, when referring to the whole sovereignty issue. I'm sure a lot of you know what I'm talking about. There's a few different parts here. One is that the journalist who reported this whole thing, Barak Ravid, is by no means uh, a journalist without an agenda. So you have to take that into account. The way that he reported things is going to be to bolster what he himself felt. Um, so I don't know if we're ever going to really know what exactly went on there. But one of the people who has gotten a lot of flack is, uh, is Yossi Dagan, who's the mayor of the Chambron, um, because he has been blamed for torpedoing the, um, the application of sovereignty by going to evangelical Christians and telling them that they shouldn't support it because the map is awful. Now, um, I happen to think, if this is true, that he made a mistake. Okay, I thought, and I still think, that we should have grabbed the opportunity while we had. The map was not perfect by any means, but it was a changer. We would have at least been starting now from a different position. And on a lot of things having to do with the day-to-day, -day, with applications of Israeli law, in Yehudah Shamron, just in terms of road safety and environmental issues and stopping the nonstop violations of the Palestinian Authority on building in Area C. There's a lot of those things or archaeological digs that are, you know, just being destroyed all the time. There's a lot of things on those level and that level that I think would have been improved. So if it is true that Yossi Dagan did that, then I think he made a mistake. Um, and I happen to know him and I respect him, be even though I think in this instance, he made a terrible mistake, because he is who he is. You know, we can't have it both ways. On the one hand, we get upset with our politicians when they go into office, and then they change from what 
we voted them for, right? We voted them in for. There's certain things that they compromise on that we wish they wouldn't compromise on. But then we have other politicians who are hardcore ideologues who don't change, but we get upset with them also. So like we can't have it both ways. If you're gonna vote, if you're gonna, you know, admire somebody for for who he is, then you have to kind of be straight about that. Um, yes, and I know that the people that were upset with Yossi Dagan are not the people that are, are the, not the people that voted for him. I'm sure within the Shamron and within his regional council of Shamron, I think anyhow, I haven't done a survey. The vast majority of people would have agreed with what what he did. So I know him. I know him personally. I admire him for the things that he does. Um, Yehuda Diamant, he lives in Shaveh Shamron, where Yehuda Diamant was, and I know that it affected him personally as well. And it's a very, very, very difficult job to have. So I can admire him and respect him for his line without agreeing with his line. And, um, and I can be where, still very wary about this government and hope that certain things that they're trying to accomplish, especially, at least for me, um, the area of religious reform, which I think really needs to be done, and hope that there's certain things that they succeed on while realizing that there's going to be a price to be paid um, because there are Arabs and, unfortunately, Jewish anti-Zionists sitting in this government who are saying and doing things that make me physically ill. So this is you know, I think, I think a lot of us are in this very, very tough place where, um, where you either have to be totally pro something or, or like, I mean, I sit and I read on social media, some of the things that Israelis are saying about this government, that this is an anti-Semitic government. This is not an anti-Semitic government. There are elements within this government that most definitely do not have Israel's well-being at their, at the forefront of their minds. Chile is about to be an anti-Semitic government, okay? The president of Chile, and I don't know what's going to go on there, but it's not going to be pretty. So a lot of the, this terminology and a lot of these very, very hate-filled, I would even say, terminology are applied in places where they don't belong. And then what happens is they lose their punch. Okay, if everybody who doesn't like something that Israel does is an anti-Semite, then what does that mean anymore? Or a Nazi? All right. And, and I think we have to be very, 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 very careful. Yes, there are people out there who use their anti-Zionism, the, the, who who couch their anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. We've talked about this before, right? Oh, I, I have nothing against the Jews, but I really don't like Israel's policies of apartheid and genocide. Like, do me a favor, okay? If you're already lying on that level, then that shows that something is off, okay? You can be critical of Israel, but keep it within the realm of what's actually happening. I think it just came out a couple of days ago that the UN Security Council, like the vast majority of who they yelled at this year and the resolutions that they passed were against Israel, Right, so that, there's already something wrong here. And the same thing when it comes to the EU, which is essentially Germany. And Germany has not changed, unfortunately, in the last century. All right, so there's, you, we have to, and it's incredibly difficult because it is much easier for all of us just to go with black and white. All right, just to like grab onto an idea and say, that's the idea that I want. It is tremendously difficult, and I'm speaking here for myself, to be constantly rethinking and thinking and wondering if I was wrong and wondering if I was right. And I used to think that it was a lack of confidence in my own opinion that got me to rethink and to open things and to not be sure. And now I've actually come to a different conclusion. I think it's a sign of confidence that I can say, 
Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was right. I'm not sure. I'll listen to different opinions. And that's something that I find that a lot of people don't do. And what's even worse is that when they are right, they have to say, I told you so, which makes you like not even want to have that discussion to begin with because that's a patronizing thing. All right. It could be that you told me so, and it could be that you're wrong in something else. Like we're all just struggling. We're all trying to find the truth and there really is no absolute truth and everything is changing all the time. And I think the last two years have brought that home to so many of us, how little control we have over things. And I think we really need to understand how little control we have over the information that we're being given. Most of us are being fed information that somebody wants us to have, that somebody wants us to know. And maybe that's good. I'm sure there's a lot of things out there. I'm positive there's a lot of things out there that I actually don't want to know about. All right. That if I knew about, I possibly wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. So I don't need to know everything. To some degree, I want to live in my little bubble and not think about Iran and not think about all the awful things that are out there. Uh, and just like, you know, focus on my family, focus on what I love to do and the people that I care about, the gifts that Hashem gave me, which is part of my frustration with the last couple of years is that I haven't been able to teach and I haven't been able to guide and do the things that I love so much. And, and that's something that I'm having to grapple with that this situation, of course, as you can well imagine, isn't making easier. And I know that all of you out there have the issues that you're dealing with as well of uh, if it not just not being able to travel, because not all of you, you know, want to travel, need to come to Israel, but a lot of things in our personal lives that are not necessarily where we'd like them to be, our health issues, of course, and, and, and employment issues, or just looking around and, and seeing situations that are, that are really out of control and, and things that are being spoken about and attitudes and that, that we think like, what, it, what is going on here? Like who, who's controlling things? And, um, and just to try and in our own little ways to, to push back on that and at least try and make the little circles around us be better and to not let ourselves fall into that kind of depression, which I'm here really speaking from like very much from the heart. It's, it's hard for me to, um, because I'm a planner and I'm someone who always has goals and I'm someone who's always like thinking about what I can do. And, and this situation today is super hard for me because I can't plan on anything. So I had guiding jobs set up that were canceled because flights were canceled. And, um, like I said, you know, a trip to Egypt, that is probably going to be canceled or it just seems like, like nothing is in my control. And for someone who's, well, maybe not exactly a control freak, but I do like to kind of have a sense maybe of where I'm going and, and what I can expect from others and what I can expect from myself. So this is hard. And I think we all have that in our own way, um, trying to deal with a situation that is, is so difficult to deal with. And, um, you know, I just read a very interesting um, paper about um, about parenting, because so much of this comes down to that, to like the, the framework that you set up when it comes to behavior. Like I happen to think, and I know I'm digressing all over the place here, but I happen to think that one of the reasons that 
despite our magnificent soldiers and intelligence community, one of the reasons that we haven't been able to deter the terrorism as much as we should is because of the deals that were made to, for terrorists to be let out of prison for so that we could, you know, get hostages or get kidnapped soldiers or just their bodies back. And and while I understand the thinking behind that, and especially for the families, um, what it means is that when there's a terrorist, he has, there's no downside here because he can, he, he's not going to get punished, at least for the long term, maybe for the short term, but he's not really going to get punished. And so that kind of deterrence to behave isn't as strong as it should be. And, and that comes, you know, with parenting also. What was interesting about this article is that it was saying that um, religious parents, when they set red lines, are actually um, have more of, a, of an influence on their religion, any religion, by the way, more of an influence on their children's behavior than secular parents, because there's a value system in a religious home. There's a pretty clear, or it should be pretty clear, value system in a religious home. So the kids know what that value system is, and they can break it, they cannot break it, they can go with it. But but it's very clear that parents have, there's a lot of, there's clarity, okay, which is what I've been saying, is this lack of clarity that causes a lot of the confusion and the inability to really um, respond to authority or respect authority maybe the way we should. And so when it comes to parenting in religious homes where there is a set value system, and sweetie, when you're 18 or 19, you can have your own value system in your own home. But in this house right now, this is the value system. This is the behavior that I expect. Um, then they can rail against it and they cannot agree with it, but at least they know what the red line is. And that that lack of clarity and that openness to everything and and you could you know you could be hey choose your sex right you could be whatever you want to be that that is actually causing a lot more depression and a lot more confusion than um than having you know certain frameworks that people stick to at least that's what i found in my own parenting and the mistakes that i have made um and in my own world and the way that i think about the world and the way that i think about authority figures tell me what's going on i can agree i can disagree i can vote for you i cannot vote for you. I can go with your opinion. I cannot go with your opinion. I can read your column. I cannot read your column, whatever it is. But when someone is clear about where they stand, then then I get it. And that's not the same as not being nuanced. I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to that. Being able to be nuanced and be being able to see both sides is not the same as a lack of clarity. And it is a hard place to get to. It's something that I'm trying to get to, um, but it, it's not the same. And in that mishmash that we make of that, you have to have an opinion and you can't go back on it, even if all facts fly in the face or, or things change. Um, I think we're, we're, we're finding a lot of trouble there. I can dislike somebody's policies without saying they're a hateful person who should die. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And a lot of the things, though, that I see out there, and a lot of the um, the influences on the next generation are that. And so, uh, I mean, somebody, and it's not going to be me because I'm just a little person, but I, I would hope that somebody, you know, takes that into consideration when making different decisions. That at least be clear with what you're doing without. Um, 
without feeling that that makes you weak in any way and that you can still, you know, show caring and be open um, without, you know, feeling that that makes you less valid. I hope all of this made sense. Um, If not, what can I do? I'll go back to interviewing next week. Um, But a couple of things that are just happening this week that I did want to share with you. One is that um, in the absence of tourists, so many of you know, I've become more involved with One Israel Fund and with developing the communities here in Judea and Samaria, playgrounds and mother-child centers, etc. And they're having their end of the year uh, fundraising gala this week on Thursday night. Um, So if any of you are interested in participating in strengthening the communities here, even from afar, um, please be in touch with me in the text of the podcast. The uh, The link there is embedded, and uh, I'd be very happy to have you join us um, on what I consider an incredibly important mission. And the other thing is, is that I do still need to plan for the future. So Mizrahi, the Religious Zionist uh, Organization of America, has me on a list of scholars and residents, of speakers, and boy, do I have a lot to talk about these days, for two specific weekends in the spring when maybe the world or at least travel will be a little more open April 30th 2022 and May 28th 2022 which correspond to the weekends around Israel's Independence Day and Jerusalem Day so right now until the money runs out they are subsidizing speakers so if you think that your synagogue um, could use a little dose of me in the spring, then I would be delighted to be in touch with you. So that's also embedded in the podcast, the link to that. And uh, we'll keep planning and maybe they will have to change our plans. It's actually for sure that we're going to have to change our plans, different plans. But there are some things that we can still look forward to and try and plan that will happen. Um, and uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, we should just like sit around now and say, forget it. I, I just can't put anything down on paper because who knows what it'll be. We have to plan. Hopefully it'll happen, Um, and hopefully, you know, people will be well, and we'll get a handle on all of this, and uh, we will figure our way out of this, and our leaders will figure their way out of this, and in a wise way. So, um, Eve Harrow, Rejuvenation on the Land of Israel Network, and thanks to Tabitha and to Ben, and thank you to all of you for tuning in, for writing to me, for giving me um, your feedback on the people that I've interviewed, on the things that I've said. I really do appreciate it. And that's how we stay connected despite the distance. So take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. Enhance your faith. Deepen your understanding. Align your destiny with the Land of Israel. Subscribe to the Land of Israel Fellowship an exclusive virtual seminar led by Jeremy Gimpel and Ari Abramowitz with live weekly interactive sessions and ongoing personal mentorship. Subscribe and join this global awakening at thelandofisrael.com slash fellowship, bringing the Torah from Judea to the world.